uh, for the last couple of years, I've been basically focused on being at home with my family and spending time with the kids. And it's been an invaluable experience. And I find it odd that we force people to go to office, to commute, to, you know, spend hours and hours every week outside of the things that makes them happy pretending that if they show up in the office it's something they're going to be more productive mm-hmm. this whole like eight hour work week is back from like henry ford assembly line days why are we still doing it mm-hmm. i mean if you want to go to the office go for it but i think if you can be productive in four hours from your kitchen go for it because you'll do more than somebody who spent 12 hours in the office welcome to the crazy wisdom podcast today i interviewed kirill zhbuski who is the founder of Smash Notes and a former Y Combinator graduate. And we had a really interesting discussion about podcasting. He is building this really interesting product, which essentially allows you to edit podcasts uh, and then create questions around the audio content and so that people can read what the person is telling. And it's all user-generated content. And it's a really interesting idea I, it's an idea I had for myself, and then I found him, and I was like, "Wow, this this is exactly my idea. Why don't I just use yours? Uh, it's gonna it's gonna make it easier for me." And we actually collaborated on. He invited me to do a guest uh, Smash Notes weekly recap of a, the best podcast episode that I had found, which was Peter Thiel's episode with uh, Eric Weinstein, uh, which was really interesting for me to listen to. And then I created a mix-up of their podcast mixed with some of uh, one clip of my episode with Vinay Gupta. So it's really interesting. This conversation we had was really great. I really enjoyed doing it. Um, and I just want to let you guys know I'm starting to take applications for an online course with Anders Jones, who rose $40 million in his Series A. Uh, and we are going to do an online course for startups looking to fundraise for their distributed team. Uh, so raising money in order to build a distributed team. That's not all the stuff we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about hypergrowth scale, uh, the period of hypergrowth for uh, an organization and how to manage that as a startup founder. Uh, so if you'd like more information on that, please find my blog at stuartallsop.substack.com. Uh, and yeah, just sign up for the blog stuartallsop.substack.com. I'll be including more information on how you can apply. Uh, so hope you enjoy this episode. Please let me know uh, if you have any thoughts. Uh, have a great day. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest is Kirill Shubowski. He is the founder of Smash Notes, a cool podcast app that allows people to take notes and like edit audio uh, for easier consumption. Would that be a great, good way to explain it? Well, your folks can check it out on smashnotes.com and decide for themselves. But Smash Notes is basically a way to get um, you know, millions of interesting points out of podcasts that are currently locked in the audio. So you and I are going to record this podcast. There's going to be a ton of stuff that people are not going to get to unless they listen to the whole episode. Mm-hmm. And Smash Notes is a way to take that and segment into Q&A pieces so you can consume podcasts in new ways, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to read transcripts for an hour. You can just go there and like in 15 seconds, basically decide what's interesting to you and then like hone in onto that particular point. And also listen to it right there as well too. Yeah. Yeah. And are, is it SEO searchable? Are you guys being found by Google now? It's, yeah, uh, I'm still working on it. I'm sole founder right now and basically doing everything from development to marketing to you know, design, et cetera. Uh, so one thing at a time. But yeah, there's been, um, I think as of, you know, it's been about two months. Uh, there's 
probably like 14,000 pages that index right now and it's, mm -hmm. it's growing in Google index. Yeah. Wow. Um, and how much of it is being done by a machine and how much of it is being done by hand? Right now it's all done by hand. Uh -huh. uh, so it's probably 80% done by me and 20% done by other people. Mm -hmm. And I'm slowly opening it up to uh, more people so everybody can participate. And um, my long-term vision is really where it's a community where all the podcasters are participating. And uh, you know, you can review a little bit of your podcast, but you can also do the podcast of people you like. Mm -hmm. This way you build the networking and start talking about this. And uh, uh, there's 700,000 podcasts out there. Uh, that's uh, that's not my statistics. That's from Andreessen Horowitz's report on this from a few weeks back, right? So um, I think I did a basic calculation. That's like 80 years of audio. Um, if if you say like a podcast is about an hour long, so that's like a lifetime of one person's of audio. We're never going to listen to all of that, right? Mm. But there's so much interesting stuff in there that we can discover. And um, if you if you ask people like what uh, what they listen to, there's probably usually like 10 podcasts that are the same, maybe 10, 20, right? Like it's like Joe Rogan, Kara Swisher, blah, blah, blah. And then there's a bunch of niche things that like maybe your friend is doing and maybe he's only getting like a hundred downloads per episode, but there's something in there and that's totally locked in and nobody knows about it. And I really want to bring it out and mm. like have people learn about this stuff. Mm. One of my theories for why podcasting has blown up over the past few years is because this format of one-on-one -on -one or many or more conversation and audio, it seems to go deep into the brain and it seems to be something that's very evolutionarily uh, old so that like writing is a relatively new invention, but that's how most people find the information on the internet is through the written word. Uh, and now we've got this ability to transmit audio, which seems to go into a very deep circuit in our brains that, you know, maybe like I imagine people around a campfire telling stories and singing songs. And it's like, it's like that, you know, it's that deep type of thing that's been happening for maybe millions of years. What do you, what do you think? Right on. And I think people share a lot more on a podcast that they would do in other medium. So for two reasons, right? One, it's a conversational. So you're more relaxed. You just want to talk to somebody and two, uh, well, right now we're doing video, but oftentimes mm -hmm. there's no video, right? You just, you just talking. It's so much easier to actually discuss things you want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's tons of gems. Mm. And that I think also another key part of that is some when they're writing, this is what a friend of mine recently said, when somebody's writing, they're able to edit that writing. I'm not able to, I'm, I, you know, I have a little voice in my head that's saying, oh, what would be good to say right now and all this thing, but I'm not editing it. And I can totally say something that, that I would not normally say, right? Yeah. And it's there forever. And yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's, I guess, good and bad. But at the same time, if we accept that it's okay to evolve your logic and opinions, uh, then it's okay that you say something today you totally disagree with tomorrow. In fact, it's good that you have this trackable medium where you can go back to and be like, yeah, you know, I thought this and now I think that. And, mm. Yeah. Mm. And you have a podcast too yourself, right? Well, now I have two. Uh, <laughs> so Smash Notes in itself is a podcast. Every uh -huh. Monday I release an episode, which is like a voice summary of what's happened that week. Uh -huh. Um and I'm evolving that. It's just a fun way. And I, my audience is now divided, basically. Some people just go and read and some people just go and listen. And that's that's fine, right? Like everybody gets their segments. And it's it's fun because it's actually computer generated uh, for like 80% of it. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's fairly quick to produce. It's it's even quicker than this episode with you and I. And, uh, and my other podcast is called uh, Rad Dad Show. 
It's mm-hmm. braddadshow.com. And that's where I have uh, started interviewing dads about, uh, usually it's uh, startup-y type of dads, but not always, right? And it's just about their life, their parenting, their work, and whatever they have to share. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that really came about because, sorry, uh, <laughs> I just want to say that came about because I think, uh, I have two kids now, they're two and four, four and a half. But, you know, when we got the first kid, there's a bunch of resources there that always teach you something. And I'm like, um, I think we're very different people. Like, I don't want everybody to just teach me and tell me how things should be, but I'm very open to listening to how people are doing it so I can decide on my own. Mm. And that was the idea for this podcast. I'm like, I'll just tell you how other people are doing it. You decide on your own. But there's, you know, there's like David Hanemeyer Hansen. Right? He's a millionaire, but he's got like a ton of good stuff to say about parenting. And there's like my friend, Mike, who's just a videographer here in Seattle, but he's also got a lot of stuff to say about parenting and newborn while working at a startup. So. And that's, that's a really interesting thing about podcasts as well that you bring up because with writing people who write, they usually have a point in mind that they want to teach and they want to share with somebody. So it's almost like they share a prescriptive, like, this is how you should think about this thing. But with podcasts, it's more kind of like free flow and just like, uh, this is my story. So it's, yeah, it seems like it's a story more format, which allows people to draw their own conclusions rather than being force fed their conclusion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So where did the idea for smash notes come from? It's um, well, two things. So when I started my podcast, I started interviewing like really interesting people. One of them was uh, Casper baby pants. Oh. And if you're not parent, that doesn't tell you anything. Uh, but his real name is Chris Ballou, and he was a uh, lead singer for the presidents of the United States. So a lot of people know the song Peaches, uh, right? But they don't know who Casper Baby Pants is. Uh-huh. And so I interviewed him, and he shared a ton of good stuff, not just about parenting, but about like his life as a musician, how he made decisions, you know, what he struggled with. And I really wanted to share that, but it was really hard to tell to people like, hey, go listen to an hour and a half of me talking to Casper Baby Pants. Uh, and even if I said like, go listen at minute 42, you know, that was still a lot to ask. So I needed a way to segment this podcast and to share um, all the little bits. Funny enough, now that I build Smash Notes, I haven't had enough time to go like edit my own podcast because I'm always <laughs> doing it to other people's. Um, but that's where the idea came from because I really wanted to like, present this information and in the way that it's really easy to share embed, you know, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Interesting. Um, and how has the reception been so far? It's been pretty good. I mean, it's, it's early. Like I said, it's only been about two months. Oh. Uh, but um, uh, do you know James Bashar from Below the Line podcast? Uh-huh. Right. So James being a super active user, we've been basically doing for uh, all the notes for all the recent episodes. Uh-huh. Like, he, he really got the idea and like how awesome it is. And some people look at it like, well, I don't want to share the notes because I want people to listen to podcasts. And in reality, you definitely want to share these notes because people come back. Or like James released this uh, interview with uh, Sahil Lavinia, which was um, almost three hours long. And a lot of people look at a podcast and say, whoa, that's, that's a lot. I'm not going to listen to this, right? But if they get detailed notes with questions, and everything on Smash Notes is formatted in Q&A form. Oh. So it's really easy to scan, right? Like, how is Sahil enjoying life in Utah? Well, that's a very direct question, right? Like, if you're thinking about moving to Utah, there's something for you to consume. So you go right there and you're like, oh, cool. I want to listen to that. And all of a sudden, you get all these new listeners who would otherwise just skip your podcast. So... Mm. Uh, for the power users who are using it right now, it's actually working quite well. So mm. I'm quite excited. One of my listeners 
is deaf, which is interesting because she's deaf, so she can't hear. Uh, but she wants more. Uh, she wants access to this content, and I don't know how she found my show, and I don't know how she listens to my show. But she asked me to do more transcriptions, and then I was just like, I just, just sent her uh, smash notes of. Uh, I just sent her smash notes to because it was interesting. And are you guys thinking of that? Is that like a niche that you're thinking about, like deaf people? I think it's definitely going to make it more available. Mm. I am not thinking of it as a specific niche, like to go and target because, you know, there's money in there. It's more of like, great, if it's making a podcast more available to people, that's awesome. Mm. But it's not just for deaf people. Like it, there are a lot of people who can listen. In fact, I heard in one podcast, 20% um, of his audience never listen. Mm. Uh, but they always come back and visit every episode because they just prefer reading through uh, through notes. Uh, like my wife, she reads through you know half of the podcast because she's a really great reader. But what takes her like five minutes to read takes me 25. So mm -hmm. people are different. So it's, it's going to help some segments to consume this medium in, in a new way. Mm. So you're taking a bunch of notes on, on podcasts. What's your favorite podcast right now? Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Okay, if you Google for my profile for Smash Notes, you'll see there's like 40 different podcasts. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, I'm biased. I definitely like James's Below the Line. I do also really like Kara Swisher's uh, Decode. Uh, there's one kind of niche podcast from a while back that I really like. It's called uh, This One Hurt a Bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, we can attach the link to the show notes because it's, uh, it's medical uh, questions, but they're discussed in a very like... Uh, funny and relaxing way and uh, i found that when um, one of my kids had a fever and uh, w when you have a first kid you're like oh my god a little bit of fever like gotta go to the hospital when you have a second kid you're like is this really a fever like how far can we go so i started looking around i'm like what's actually a fever and i found this podcast this one heard a bit about fever you know um and uh, and this is where smash notes come in because it's like now i can share it with you and it says like oh actually you know 100 or whatever is, is not a big deal like don't even call your doctor mm -hmm. like uh, the actual fever is so much higher than uh you you'd think mm -hmm. then like don't worry about it mm -hmm. so anyways th there's a bunch i'm just uh i'm blinking out because there's so many like i i, I have to listen to like hundreds of uh, hours right. of audio every week which they're also pretty bad podcasts sometimes you know but i'm now pretty good about skipping those do you get a sense of how your brain has changed now that you listen to so many podcasts? Oh, well, I'm getting better at segmenting it, but um, my my goal is really to figure out how to eventually teach AI to do it, mm -hmm. um, mm. which is really uh, funny. Uh, on last week's Smash Notes, there was the segment for Microsoft Research. They're now working on a thing called machine uh, teaching, basically. So the idea is like before you gave a bunch of data to a machine and said, here, here's like how to uh, process this data, right? But then you'll teach the machine and then you verify and eventually say, okay, you computer, you're really good at processing this data. Now they're saying, okay, well, you know, if we're already teaching you, can you just learn on your own? And, and that's like what I think would be really cool for Smash Notes too. And eventually I'll say, hey, this is how I do it. Can you figure it out? Mm. And I think when that happens, that's just going to be awesome because mm. then I can just like do this for thousands of podcasts. So, so I think you'd be a really good person to have a discussion like this with. You're listening to Microsoft, like what you just said, talk about AI, and you want to apply AI to your uh, to your software. What does it look like in the next two to three years in terms of AI having an effect on humans' ability to learn, to build, to create? And we, you know, we talked on Twitter earlier about DevOps, DevOps cycle, and you're yeah. saying that 
DevOps cycle is now like so easy to do that it's just really easy to focus on core business. Where is this headed in the next two to three years? I'm not that deep into AI to give you a specific um, answer to that. I think if you follow OpenAI, uh, Sam Altman on the team, right, you'll have a really good sense um, for what's possible. I, I may be less like excited about the short-term future of AI because I don't think it's just going to revolu uh, you know, revolutionize everything. I think it's going to make a small but dramatically like useful improvements in our life. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I sure hope it removes all the mindless tasks out of our life. But I, don't, like, I think we're pretty far away from AI just doing everything and you know, you're snapping your fingers and just being done. Mm. Uh, and then again, if you listen to Elon Musk, like if, if that's possible, then we already live in a simulation, right? Statistically speaking. So I, I really hope we are not living in a simulation. So thereby it's, it's going to be a long time. I'm curious. Why do you, why would you rather not live in a simulation? I mean, I enjoy the real world, <laughs> but if there's uh, a simulation, then the real world is the real world. It just happens to be a simulation too, right? Oh, now we're getting deep into this <laughs> rabbit hole. <laughs> you know, part of me wonders, like, whenever Elon Musk does something, like, really silly and people get angry or, like, the SEC gets uh, angry, uh, if he's just, like, trying to test the boundaries, kind of, uh -huh. like, pinching himself, but, like, in a really painful way, like, is this really happening? Like, or, like is there a way to just change the reality? Oh, uh -huh. yeah. Interesting. Um, what did you do YC with? What company? Uh, that was back in summer 2012, wow. and uh, that was with Scoutsy, which was um, a fancy uh, uh, description as a marketplace for creative talent. Uh -huh. To simplify, it was uh, basically a high-end Odesk where you could uh, hire freelance designers to do work for you. Mm. Yeah, we, we ran that for about three years, but we realized that marketplace and high-end uh, kind of... Um, Two ends of the same spectrum. You you can't have a marketplace that's high end. You have to basically drive down the prices and make work repeatable so that anyone can do it. Kind of like Uber, right? Mm. That's that's a true marketplace. Mm. Interesting. Uh, what was the biggest learning? That, I mean, that was a good learning right there. But what, what's the biggest learning you learned about life or starting a company from that experience? There were <laughs> there were a lot of learnings. Uh -huh. uh, for me personally, I think and. Um, it's to stick to your own core vision. Like you should listen to uh, your advisors, investors, whatever, but you have to figure out what you're doing and, uh, and talk to your customers and use that as a guiding principle. Because to be honest, when we were pitching on a demo day at Y Combinator, I was not fully on board with what we were pitching. It just seemed like the right thing at the right time. But to me, it wasn't. And like, maybe some people can do it, but when I am not fully committed to what I'm selling, I can't really sell that. Yeah, yeah, that that uh, that rings true for me because I I did a very similar thing. I started a company. It's kind of a crazy story. I found an investor, but in order to invest, he wanted us to move to India to work directly with the developers. So I ended up moving to India for nine months, and then we built out this application. Uh, and then I came back to San Francisco. But the application we built wasn't. It, it was interesting. It was cool. I, I liked it, but it wasn't like, oh, this needs to exist. I didn't see that. My my business founder, my co-founder thought it needed to exist, but I didn't have it. And then I was expected to raise money. And I was just like, oh man, couldn't do that. So yeah, that that is a very very good point. Um, but you know, I'd recommend everyone to go and 
try and start a startup. Well, maybe not everyone, but if you, if you feel like that's something you really want to do, like that's probably something you should really do. Mm. Uh, even if you fail the first time, because the amount of stuff you learn is incredible. No one's ever going to teach you this much this fast, right? Unless you do it yourself. Mm. And it, for me, I don't know if it's the same thing for you. It seems like it's the same thing for you because you've now started an, another company. It's like once I did that, going and back and working for someone else doesn't have the same sort of draw to it because I don't have the same autonomy. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I've done, you know, after we did that, I've, uh, I did work for someone else and I did some consulting and such. And, um, I gotta say, I've never been a big fan of working with someone else because it feels like there's a lot of obstacles in the way and I'm not particularly functional. Like, like I said, I, you know, I'm basically uh, a full stock entrepreneur, but, uh, <laughs> um, I don't find it rewarding to be really deep in a particular area. I just want to do everything. And it's very hard to find that in a work environment where you can actually do everything. Mm -hmm. um, so it's almost like it, it kind of goes against your nature. I'm pretty sure you could find a place or a company where you know, you'll be rewarded to do that kind of work, uh, but it's probably very hard. Mm, yeah. But and eventually, I mean, if this turns into a bigger thing, then you will have to essentially delegate it to other people, right? Uh, yeah, uh, that's, you know, that's fine. It, it's different. It's like uh, making yourself do one thing when you want to do 25 different things at the same time is hard. Uh, having somebody else help you do what you're trying to do is quite easy because as long as they can do a good job, I think that's, that's awesome, right? Mm. I'm happy to have people help me do what I'm doing now, but... Uh, it's still early. <laughs> Whereas if you're in a job, then you're doing one thing. You're doing that one individual contributor or managing over and over and over again in your own little sector. Whereas as an entrepreneur, you can fan out and do a lot of things and then find people who can then help do, you do the things that you don't like doing. Exactly. And I mean, that's, that's normal, right? That's what you're supposed to do at a job. And I think the bigger the company, the less you, the, the less different work you do. Mm. And that's what the company needs. And, you know, that's why you get paid a salary and the benefits, et cetera. And as an entrepreneur, you get paid nothing and mm. for a really long time, <laughs> um, but to each their own. Uh -huh. uh, I, I wouldn't trade this for anything. Uh -huh. And you're technical, right? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I got like an engineering degree and then taught myself to code. So you can say technical, like I'm like, I'm probably not going to be managing servers. Uh, but you know, we live it like what we were discussing on Twitter, it's 2019. And basically you no longer have to manage servers. In fact, like the stuff I was still doing in 2012, 90% of it, I don't have to do anymore. There's services that can do all of that. It's so awesome. Mm. So, and the reason I asked that question is what have you been reading about over the past week uh, that is in science or technology that you got you the most excited? Uh, well, one thing I reread was that uh, Stuart Butterfield's uh, essay, you know, we don't sell saddles here. Uh, I know it's not science or technology, but I found it um, a great piece of writing because it's extremely on point and it talks about how the best way to um, basically achieve product market fit is invent uh, the market. Mm. It's really hard. Which, well, yeah, but it's also amazing, right? If you can, uh, if you, if you can envision something and then create it and convince people that they've been missing this all along, that's essentially what they've done with Slack. You know, there was HipChat. You could use HipChat, but I mean, it was like a hundred times worse than Slack in many ways. But uh, they didn't come out saying we're just HipChat but better. They said, no, look, we are this new platform to work better. You know, bring your team together, etc. And um, 
So I found that very interesting. Mm. Uh, science and technology. I don't know, man. I honestly, I've been just listening to podcasts, a lot of podcasts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I try to read, and I mean, like, I, I usually never finish books unless they're pretty short. Kind of like, you know, zero to one is probably the uh, the longest book I can get through. Everything else, I just skim. Uh-huh. Yeah, but a lot. The lately has been a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And no podcast about science and technology. We don't have to talk about science and technology, but. <laughs> um, well, I did listen to Bill Nye, the science guy. Mm. Uh, personally, I'm not a fan. I'm uh-huh. sorry this is going on video, but I, having had an engineering degree, you know, I like science and I want like deep dive in science and I want science to be factual, not mm, kind of salesy and marketing. I think a little bit of that is okay to get people really excited about it. Mm. But I think if you're doing a podcast or, you know, writing anything about science, it shouldn't have a word maybe in it. Mm. Uh, It should just say, this is how things work. And this is like three levels of depth that you should get through. Mm. So anyways, uh, that that was one that I listened to. uh, But I mean, I I think people love it. And I think it's great as an introductory course to science, but it's not like really the science. Uh, In fact, if you or your listeners know, like really deep scientific podcast. I'd love to find some and listen to them. Mm, those are, that would be really interesting. Um, so you were going to ask me questions about, uh, I said that, that we'd talk about smash notes and you said you'd ask me some questions about, uh, about uh, what's going on with my podcast uh, uh, kind of um, things like that. What were those? Well, I was curious, like you're at 70 um, episodes now, right? And yeah. um, how, how did you grow from day one to now in terms of listener numbers and uh, well, that was really interesting because I started off just publishing uh, and I'm, I think I'm pretty bad at marketing uh, because it took about a year before anybody started listening. I was just publishing them. I, I first had them on Squarespace and Squarespace analytics were really bad. Uh, and then I switched to Libsyn and got, got me some better analytics. Um, and so for the first nine months, very few people were listening. I was doing interesting interviews. Uh, and then I started to, uh, I actually hired a guy to help me do the podcast, um, to do the marketing for the podcast. And uh, he's like a consultant guy and helped other people grow their podcasts. And uh, he said that the best way to grow your podcast would be to go on to other people's shows. And so basically cross promote your show and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that he would organize them. Turned out he wasn't really organizing them. He just he would cold call a bunch of them and then, and then have me do the rest of it work. And I was like, well, why am I paying you if, if that's like the didn't make sense. So, and I, and, and something about that felt kind of uh, disingenuous too. It felt like I would get into a trap if I were to do that. And I would just only get like, I didn't want to reach out to other podcasts to go on to other podcasts only to market my own show. Like, I don't know. And so I've, I've basically, I haven't been focused on marketing really until uh, my episode with Kapil Gupta, and then he shared shared it uh, on his Twitter, and his followers are so engaged that it was like, of all the people who shared, like it was the highest percentage actually went through and listened to the episode. And then once that happened, now I've got a base of subscribers, and it now seems that I've got a base of subscribers. It kind of is just growing on its own, um, and I am I am getting started and get bigger guests as well. So it is it is just by the guests. I would love to go on other podcasts, but it just seemed like a lot of work that I didn't want to do uh, to, to go on other podcasts. Well, what would you want to go on the, uh, uh, to talk about on another podcast? I don't know. That's the other thing is that, you know, my, I, have, I have a theme that I've been exploring for the past year, which was the role of stress, the role of stress in the creative process, which is very interesting. I can talk about that a long time. So 
I could go on to podcasts that talk about stress and I could go, you know, like um, psychology things. I could go on creative creativity um, things. I also look into the intersection of spirituality and technology. Um, I look into kind of like the, the rise of the internet and the rise of the Chinese internet and how they're kind of creating their own second internet. So I could talk about a lot of different things, but that's one of the issues in my life in general is that I have a difficult time focusing. So, uh, um, uh, so really focusing down and, and narrowing that down and then, and then finding people who would want to talk about that. It's interesting. I guess I should start, I should start thinking about it. It would be fun. I really like, I really like it being interviewed. So, um, <laughs> well, here we can talk about this now. Um, yeah. <clears throat> no, I just saw this tweet earlier today. It's like ADHD was invented to basically, um, constrained curious children and that that fits my childhood yeah it's like um everybody told me i had a problem and this is a crazy thing like what (laughs) like they take away all the physical activity like it's so clear the science behind it is so clear that we our dopamine is regulated by movement so if you want to get somebody get a young child to to sit still and learn have them move for a long time before you have them sit down but they've been taking away physical exercise. They've been taking away dance and having people sit more and longer and longer. And then they're like, oh, why, why can't these people focus? It's like their dopamine's going out of control. They want to move. So it's really interesting. Yeah, I just went for a walk before we started recording just mm-hmm. precisely for that reason. Because, you know, I just didn't want to be, it's a standing desk. I didn't want to just be standing here for an hour and like not be able to move. And, uh, it, but, you know, that goes to another like part of, uh, I guess, doing your own thing. You can control your environment. It blows my mind how many people are still stuck in, a, in an office. Even mm-hmm. if I were to go get a job for a while, do some consulting, like basically not being in the, in the office would be one of the definitive constraints. I'll be so much better, you know, on the grass outside with my laptop doing work than like sitting somewhere in a cubicle. But it's ridiculous. Like, I, I think we, as a society, we should really address that. And like, but it's it's on everyone to be, make a call and say, look, I want this, and I'm going to do it differently. And that's, eventually, people eventually people will catch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a key thing I think in life in general is just establishing your own boundaries and and kind of saying like, this is what I need and this is what I want, and um, and really making sure that that's a priority. By the way, how did you come up with the name Crazy Wisdom? Uh, so that's a it's a good question. Uh, crazy Wisdom. I can't remember how exactly I came up with it, but I'll tell you the root of it. Uh, there was the first time it was a popularized. So a lot of people already know that term if they've been in the spiritual world for a while, because there's this guy named Chungyam Rinpoche, who was a Tibetan Lama who came over from, from Tibet. Uh, and he talked about crazy wisdom and he wrote a book called Crazy Wisdom. He wasn't the one who invented the term. The actual first term comes, there's a lot of many examples of it. Uh, um, uh, and another word for it is divine madness. Uh, uh, and so it's basically when you start down this path of meditation, it's not like what people in Silicon Valley kind of chalk it up to be. It's like this ultimate productivity hack. It can lead you to some really intense states of mind and intense experiences that really make you question the fundamental nature of reality. Uh, and, and, and madness is essentially a, a, it can be a byproduct and a lot of people end up uh, going, but it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing either. I'm not talking about crazy. Like some people do actually end up in mental health institutes, but that has a lot to do with the initial conditions and their genetics and other things. So if you do have those things and you do start to meditate, it can be, it can be, it can be a quite a cocktail, but it's not necessarily a bad thing, a dangerous thing. It can also like, it's just like, on this thing, it's, it, it can lead you to places that, that you, you're not, ex- not expecting. So I wanted to kind of get to that with my show, which is that it's not, 
it isn't all fairies and, and dandelions like like uh, that, that there is stress, there is difficulty, that life itself is inherently difficult uh, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it and just going to be honest about it. So no. This reminded me of something that all tweeted the other day, how the more truth you discover, the less you talk about it. Uh, uh, and, and partly because like people don't really want to hear you're crazy, right? And uh, the society in general loves things to be mediocre and average and kind of slowly float by. So you discuss something crazy with people. I guess that's, that's uh, I'm in Seattle right now and I've got, um, you know, two things. Well, uh, first of all, moving from San Francisco to Seattle is kind of a, a big change for both good and bad. Uh, the the bad side is that uh, you know you miss a lot of friends and like a lot of discussions that inevitably happen in San Francisco all the time. And like there are a lot more crazy people, and being crazy is okay. But I've got some friends here who are okay with that. So you know we we meet and chat. But the good thing is your uh, your brain kind of like exhales and relaxes, and you can see the world for what it is because SF is so focused on just like work, 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 you know, build the next company. What's your next thing? It's like, well, there's a lot more to life. You can do both. It's okay. You can figure <laughs> it out. Like, <clears throat> otherwise you're like a, the dog chasing a bull all over the place. Right. And you're not really thinking and looking around. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, uh, the, the, about the wisdom, like one more thing I want to say is um, when I started doing smash notes, uh, in order to kind of replicate San Francisco and like white combinator experience, I've uh, put together a group of, uh, I guess by now it's like 20 plus uh, people who I know. Some of them are just friends. Some of them are investors. Some of them are exit startup founders. And every week I share with them my progress. Mm. Uh, however little or large it is, and I say, hey, this is what I've done. This is my questions, right? And every week, five to 10 people respond with their advice, experience, whatnot, and it's hugely valuable. So if, you know, if you're out there doing early stage startup or just working on something that otherwise is considered a little odd, I highly recommend doing that. Mm. It's just invaluable. Because like your neighbors are not going to understand what you're doing, the chances are, <laughs> unless you may be like in San Francisco, right? But otherwise your neighbors are not going to be into it. Uh, they're just going to want to go to school and like play in the yard, whatever, right? But so you need this creative outlet where people really understand uh, what your focus is. Mm. Um, and uh, I'll share in more detail on, my, on the Smash Notes podcast in one of the coming weeks. But, you know, also when people give feedback, it's, uh, it's amazing the drastic difference between an exit and entrepreneur giving you feedback and somebody who wants to be kind, but not necessarily like understands what you're doing. Mm. And, and the best feedback comes from people who say, they, they kind of accept that what you're doing, and this, this is really like the startup uh, mentality versus like the rest of the world mentality. People don't question whether what you're doing is crazy or ridiculous. They kind of assume that, great, you know, you think that's gonna be reality? Mm. Let's assume that reality. Mm. And giving that reality, how can we best help you? Like. What can you do to get there? How can you grow it? And that's just such a breath of fresh air. Because like everyone can find problems. But the best advisors, they really find solutions. And they just like buy into your vision. And some people just say, look, I don't think that's the right vision. So I'm not going to be part of this group. And that's fine, right? Mm -hmm. But the people who really buy in, like in, you know, 20 lines of email, they can just amplify your thinking a hundred times. Absolutely. Uh, And that's really good. And it, for me, I've been struggling with this, how to f- ask specific people for specific advice, because if I go to somebody who doesn't have domain experience, uh, 
then their advice might, might not be valid, you know, and it's like, it's difficult for me to ex know whether they're valid. So like, even just the accepting of advice, you can't just be kind of blatant about it and just be like, Oh, Hey guy off the street, like where, you know, what do you think of this startup idea and, and stuff like that. And then there's been the sense of like, also as I've got, I've, I've got an idea I'm working on and, um, and, and being a little bit, a little bit kind of not necessarily going out after and asking everybody for advice because it, 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 because I'm still in this creation phase where it's like, where it's, where it's vulnerable. Uh, and, and like, I really want to discover this through organic means. And then once I've got it going, then I get advice unless I'm asking specific people with domain experience. What do you think? Well, that's why I think it's great to have like a pool of people. So not everyone is going to respond, but people can find the bits that resonate with them. And I mean, I've got some friends who've been reading every one of my updates, but haven't said anything for two months. Mm -hmm. And that's fine because I'm just going to keep sending it until something clicks. Mm. You know, and um, when you deal with like entrepreneurial folks, it's so much easier to get those people on board. Uh, right. People always want to help. And even if they don't read every one of your updates, but they'll be very happy. Like uh, the reason we started doing James's podcast mm -hmm. on smash notes is because uh, he was one of the people I reached out to and said, Hey, can I add you to this? Like, you know, just once in a while, let me know what you think. And then mm -hmm. now he's all like really excited about it. <laughs> it gets people invested in it. Why do you think that is about San Francisco and Silicon Valley in general that that it's such a helpful people want to help? Because it also seems like there's also a business a plus to it as well about like it, the, the more you help people, the more it comes back to you as well. And it's related to what, you know, the yogis call karma as well. It's just like like it, you, you, you get out what you put in, but you can't tie exactly the inputs to the outputs. I'm going to try not to call it a San Francisco thing, even though, uh, you know, I, I also want to call it Silicon Valley thing, but in reality, yeah. the, like the world is getting more open. Uh, it's, it's more like the entrepreneurial startup thing, but I think it's because people realize how hard it is to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. And there is no value in being negative, like finding holes in your product thinking, whatever is no brainer. Anyone can do it. Mm -hmm. Doing the hard part is like, how do you find something useful? Uh, but also, whenever you give somebody feedback, you know, you're exercising your own mind. Mm. So it's, it's a two way street. Like if you see a problem, it's like solving a puzzle. You're just get exposed to it and you want to help. And part, you know, it's probably like 80, 20, 80% you're helping somebody, but 20% you're also exercising your own head. Yep. Mm -hmm. Which is a huge part thing I've found about creating content online as well is that the more I create it, the better I get at explaining things in real life. And it seems like it's just like such a good skill to have. The more I'm open, the more I'm expressive, the more it's a feedback loop where it's just kind of coming out of me in, in ways that like I didn't expect. And like, I don't have to try. It's just kind of happening almost yep. too much. Like over, oversharing and stuff like that. Next thing you know, you're a YouTube celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the way, last question. Do you, uh, you think you're monetizing your podcast and turning into like a full-time gig? Uh, yeah, I mean that that would be amazing if I could do this full time. I'm 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 you know I'm gonna because it, it's it's been slower. I'm I'm starting about thinking about, about building a business, which which takes the same thing that I'm doing in my podcast, but actually makes me money as well. So, but I, I am actually if if I were to get a lot more listeners, I just don't think I have enough listeners to start monetizing it. I probably could, but um, I also I also wonder about ads and and how much that will take away from what I'm doing. What are your thoughts on it? I mean, it's hard, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, like I said, 
top podcast, well, top podcasts make a killing, right? Yeah. Like um, Joe, Joe, Rogan. Rogan, Joe Rogan type uh, make a lot of money. Uh, and if you think outside of podcasts, like YouTubers like Casey Neistat, right? Like he, he puts a video out there, it makes like 2 million views. He mm. shares a bunch of links to cameras. And next thing you know, it's like tens of thousands of dollars in his bank account just mm. from people buying stuff. Mm. Uh, but that also has to be a kind of full-time business. Mm. So I think then you have to approach it as a full-time business. Um, mm. But partially, uh, this is where uh, Smash Notes, you know, was also, th that's like a secondary factor. Uh, a lot of podcasters not getting even a thousand downloads per episode, mm. but it doesn't mean that's not valuable content, mm. right? Yeah. And I like this example, like even Y Combinator podcast, which you think would be super popular, right? Maybe gets like 10,000 downloads per episode, right? Versus Kara Swisher, who gets hundreds of thousands, maybe like a million downloads, um, Mm. And, and I, uh, I've got this report from sources. Basically, it's the Vox Media do download numbers, and you know they're they're, they're pretty good. Uh huh. Uh, <laughs> but you have to be like as popular as uh, Kara Swisher. So my question is like, how do you give independent podcasters the ability to to monetize, not at the same level, but at least something? Mm. And I've talked to a lot of podcasters. Though, they just want to like twenty bucks, fifty bucks, whatever, mm. right? Like something to make you keep going. Mm. It's not a full-time job for a lot of people, but if you're getting like a hundred downloads uh, per episode, like people will be happy to make a hundred episodes as mm. long as they got like 20 bucks per it. Mm. So um, that's why I'm wondering like your focus. Cause I think there's also an opportunity to just like make it pay for itself a little bit mm. Right? Mm. Um, and versus that and turn it into a job. Like I'm wondering what's more interesting. And does smash notes already have that functionality or there's 10 billion different things I want to create. I just haven't. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it could. It's mm -hmm. uh, one, one thing at a time. I'm that's, basically, where that's where you're yeah. headed. Um, among other things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I think if I can empower like, you know, 700,000 minus 20 uh, podcasters to, to make 20 bucks, that's kind of valuable. And uh, podcasting is still so early that there's, there's plenty of space there to grow. I don't know if you've ever heard, but in China, they are uh, the podcast market is way more mature there, um, and it's something like a twenty-six billion dollar market where uh, where like people and a lot of it is actually paid paid podcasting. So people actually charge for a lot of the content, and that's actually a very accepted thing there, mm -hmm. uh, where it's just so immature here. I'm not sure if we'll ever get to paid content. Mm. I feel like it's uh, it, at least giving all the mediums that are available to us. It's like very un-American thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. uh, but I'm actually not against ads because I think podcasts are great about ad uh, for ads. Like, um, you know, if you're listening to, um, I don't know, even, even Joe Rogan, right? Like what, what is he going to advertise you? Or like Tim Ferriss, you know, I was listening to one episode with Tim Ferriss when he was uh, going on and on about Peloton. Mm. I'm like, great right i'd be like yes but i mean like i, I have peloton i'm like i don't care anymore right like yeah. i mean like please stop talking about peloton for like <laughs> damn podcast but um but if you're listening to somebody's view on i don't know like civil war or something right like a specific niche podcast and i can show you a link to a book about civil war that you've never heard of but it's going to make you smarter mm. i think that's incredibly valuable mm -hmm. mm. Interesting. And if I can deliver that to like thousands of little podcasts or you know, hundreds of thousands of different podcasts, I think that's incredibly valuable. So I think that's where there's a huge opportunity. Mm. One step at a time. Interesting. Uh, I want to ask you one more question about, because uh, you made a really good distinction between San Francisco and Silicon Valley and the startup thing as well. And it seems like 
let me back this up with a kind of a crazy theory about world history. Uh, first, you have civilization happen in China, uh, and then it moves west into India, and then to the Middle East, and then to Europe, and then into the America, and then you have from America, it goes west again. And now we're kind of at this uh, zenith point where we're it, where it's happened in San Francisco, where vast, you know, huge amount of wealth has been created in Silicon Valley, Google, all these different things that have run the internet for the entire planet outside of China. And now it's kind of moving back to China. But it doesn't seem it seems like the next stage in world history is going to be a, a fundamentally different one, and it seems going to be like it's going to be decentralized. Um, and and different nodes in a network, basically, like what you're saying, like you're in Seattle, other people are in other places, and and the next step is also remote work, distributed work. Are you guys going to be distributed? Uh, by uh, you mean how I how I would like to run the company? Yeah. I, oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's value to having an office and being in the office, and at a certain scale and a certain type of the company, you should do it, but. Uh, at least looking at my friends like the Webflow or Zapier teams, right? They do just fine with most employees being remote. There is an office, or uh, I don't know if you know, but um, Automatic, the uh, yep. you guys, know, right? The guys who own base, uh, WordPress, uh, they shut down their San Francisco office at some point because so few people were going to it. Mm -hmm, yeah. And I think that's the future because, like, uh, for the last couple of years, I've been basically focused on being at home with my family and spending time with the kids. And mm -hmm. it's been an invaluable experience. And I find it odd that we force people to go to office, to commute, to, you know, spend hours and hours every week outside of the things that makes them happy, pretending mm -hmm. that if they show up in the office, it's something, they're going to be more productive. Mm -hmm. This whole, like, Eight hour work week is back from like Henry Ford assembly line days. Why are we still doing it? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to go to the office, go for it. But I think if you can be productive in four hours from your kitchen, go for it because you'll do more than somebody who spent 12 hours in the office. And mm -hmm. uh, in office environment, too, it's very often where people, you know, hang out and like eat pizza and play foosball and blah, blah, blah. And that's not really work. I mean, maybe it's like culture building. If, if, if a frat house is your idea of culture. Uh, so, um, yeah, I would definitely want to be remote and, um, I like what Zapier is doing when every quarter they basically fly in the whole team. I think it's maybe, maybe it's less than every quarter now, but basically they fly in the whole team, mm. hang out somewhere for a week, you know, get to socialize, meet each other and then go back to their lives. Like, mm -hmm. That's amazing. That's, I think we've, we, uh, speaking back to a simulation point of view, right? Like we've, uh, matured to be an intelligent society where I think we should recognize that we should control our own lives and not the societal norms and we should change it and make it work for us. But if we don't do it, like no one's going to do it for us. No, that, and that's the, that's the point of crazy wisdom is that you kind of have to be crazy to do that a little bit, you know, to break society's norms. And, uh, I don't know. Well, but uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people find more about you, more about smash notes? Uh, they can find smashnodes.com and that will lead to me eventually. Uh, I don't know if you drop my URL in your uh, uh, show notes, they'll probably find it there too. I'm not going to attempt to spell Kirill Zubowski on, uh, you know, on air, <laughs> but smashnodes.com is pretty easy. That's pretty easy to find. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Just want to let you know that I release episodes every Monday and Friday before your morning commute. If you haven't ordered it already, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other place that you're listening to this. 
Um, and I just want to let you know again about the online course. If you are interested in finding out more about how to raise money for your distributed team, uh, from Anders Jones, the CEO of Facet Wealth, who's raised $40 million in the Series A, uh, I'll, I'm starting to take applications for that, and more information can be found on my blog at, blog at stuartalsop.substack.com. That's S-T-E-W-A-R-T-A-L-S-O-P dot substack.com. I uh, hope you have a great day, and please let me know your thoughts.